Welcome to the Truth Wars Podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. Olin has recently written his first book, which is titled, What to Do with Worry, Why Playing God Never Works. You can find Olin's book on ChristianFocus.com and Amazon.com. Now, here's Olin. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 4. And again, the theme of what we're looking at this quarter is hiding in Christ. Uh, when you are in sin or when you feel shame or when you feel guilt or fear, any type of kind of negative emotion, we, we seek to hide. And we looked at Adam and Eve last week. Uh, we hide from God. We hide from each other. We hide from ourselves. Uh, and there are various ways. And we're probably going to – this is what's going to be interesting, guys. We probably will spend this entire quarter and never leave the book of Genesis. And here's the reason why. This theme is so prevalent. It's not like you have to look really hard in obscure places to find examples. So, Genesis chapter 4, moving right along. Let me read the whole passage and then we'll talk about it. Now, Adam and Eve, his wife, excuse me. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Okay, um, again, one of my uh, kids recently, uh, maybe this has been a little while ago, but w- within the last couple of years, one of my children was basically eating all the sweets in the house, okay, finding any, whether it was a Hershey chocolate or some kind of, you know, chocolate bar or something, but they didn't want to be caught, right, because that's not what mom and dad would prefer for their teeth and their stomach and all the rest, and so they were hiding the trash, Okay, they were smart enough to know, don't eat all the chocolate and then throw all the into my trash can in my room or my bathroom. They were kind of strategically going to different trash cans and even, you know, burying it under stuff. But and, and why do I tell that story? Um, just to make fun of one of my children. <laughs> no. Why do I tell that story? Because I'm just telling you, this is written into the sinful DNA of human, humanity. That when we sin, our knee-jerk reaction is to cover our tracks. I don't know all of you personally. But if I had to bet, my guess is none of us have actually committed a murder. We've never physically murdered another person. But probably most of us have read enough detective novels or watched enough true crime TV or something. Just put yourself in, just for a second, in the shoes of a murderer, okay? Something terrible happened, okay? Terrible argument with your spouse or maybe a really bad cut off in traffic on Highway 280. 
and you literally murdered somebody. I mean, just, what you, and I'm not looking for the Sunday school answer this time. What is your first knee-jerk reaction as soon as the dead body is in front of you and the blood is on your hands? Run. What's that? Run. Run. Hide. Cover. Bathe. Dig a hole. Something, right? Cover my tracks. Now, think about whatever it is, the sin that you struggle with. I spent too much money again this month. I hope my husband doesn't see the credit card bill. Okay? I watched something on the internet last night. I shouldn't have watched. I got to delete my search history in case anybody. It, it is written into our heart in our sinfulness. Now, three different ways we're going to see in this passage to cover over our sin that Cain did. We use emotions, we use our actions, and we use our words. Okay. Now, this is the second generation of humanity. They have two sons first. Both seem to be hardworking. They seem to have some kind of relationship with God. Right? They're going to worship. They're making some kind of gift. But we're, this is not saying that farmers were better you know, than workers of the crop. That's not what it's about. It wasn't saying that God liked sheep better than he liked fruit. That's not what it's trying to say. It's saying this. Abel had this sense of he was given the best part. right? The fat portions. Like the ribeyes to God. He was worshiping God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Cain was more kind of doing the bare minimum. Abel would be like a guy that's tithing, and on top of that, he's like, where can I give extra to the missions? Not because I have to, because I want to. Cain was more like the guy that shows up to church with a bad attitude and tosses a 20 in the plate just so he can say I did something. Okay? Now, in some sense, it says God had regard for the offering of Abel, not for Cain. We don't know exactly what that means, but probably what it means is God answered by fire and consumed Abel's sacrifice, and he didn't do anything with Cain's. Cain gets mad, okay? Now, he shouldn't be mad. But if you wanted to be mad at somebody, who should he be mad at? Himself. Himself. Okay, that's the best answer. He ought to be mad at himself. It was his own sin that got him in this condition. Or even if you, you weren't content to be mad at yourself, be mad at God. And just kind of a side note. I mean, I use this question on my children a lot. I use it sometimes on... Young men I'm discipling in college, who sometimes are my children as well. Um, I use it on myself. I use it on others, okay? Do you really have a right to be mad? And if you want to be mad at somebody, who should you be mad at? Be mad at yourself. You got yourself in a situation. It's a great thing to say to yourself when you're struggling with sinful anger or somebody else. You contributed to this. But then there also is a right way to say, hey, listen, nine times out of ten, in my experience, if you find somebody dealing with sinful anger... If you dig underneath it enough with questions, guess who they're almost always really angry at? God. At some level, everybody deep down believes in the sovereignty of God. Why'd you do this to me? Why'd you let this happen to me? Okay. And listen, anytime you're mad at God, this is kind of a total side note, but it's important. Anytime you're mad at God, you should be honest about it in prayer. Right? You should confess it. Don't try to stuff it and hide it. But always know, there's never a right, righteous time to be mad at God. There's never a time where you're in the right and He's in the wrong. Okay, there, there, there's a sinful ditch on both sides of this experience, okay? What a lot of people want to do is like, yeah, I'm, I'm mad at God, I'm just going to let it all out. You know, and He can deal with it, and it's not my problem. It's like, no, it is your problem. It's sin, you need to repent. But what a lot of other people do, and probably... 
the stoic, intellectual, Presbyterian, button-up type. This is the one that we tend I'm not mad at God. I'm not mad at anyone. I'm fine. I'm right as the rain, you know? And inwardly we're bowling. And it'd be much better to be humble, to be honest about our sin, confess it to the Lord in prayer, and ask Him to change our heart. Now, in the beginning, this is a fairly small sin, is it not? This is a sin that all of us have committed, right? At some point in our life. We have come to church with a lackluster attitude. It might be happening right now. If it wasn't for my spouse, I would not be here. If it wasn't because I have a responsibility at this church, I would not choose to be here on a rainy Sunday morning. A lackluster attitude, a half-hearted attitude. Maybe in our giving is maybe less than enough. Right? We can all identify with this. And part of what I want us to see, guys, and this is an important lesson, if you play around with the small sin, if you don't hate it, if you don't cut it off, it always leads to bigger sin. It's an old country song that used to say, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It's always true. You give sin and Satan, so to speak, an inch, they will always take a mile. And we're going to see this happen with Cain. Okay. At first, he gets angry. His face is falling. So he's sad, he's down, he's depressed. He doesn't like the situation. But he doesn't get mad at himself. He doesn't get mad at God. He gets mad at Abel. Again, can't we identify with this? Something in our life is not going the way that we wished that it was going. And we see somebody else, our brother in humanity, and their life seems to be going wonderful. And we get mad at them, right? Why are they so blessed? Why are they so happy? Why is their job so good? Why is their marriage so great? There's this envy, this worry, this fear, this anger. Okay, Really bad. He should have stopped. He should have taken responsibility for his half-hearted worship. He didn't. And look at how he responds at the end. Let me read these two verses again. Genesis chapter 4, verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. There's still no repentance there. right? The focus is on the consequences of his sin. He's caught red-handed at this point, and he whines about the consequences. And guys, this might be the favorite strategy of this generation in humanity right now. This is a real example. A guy that was a friend of mine, actually was an officer in this church for a while. He is not any longer. Been married, had kids, and it came out that he had had multiple affairs, 50-plus now, there was confession, seeming brokenness, repentance. His wife was willing to try to work through it. But at one point, I was meeting with he and his wife, and you can imagine she was having a hard time. There a lot of tears, a lot of sadness, a lot of anger. I would say probably justified, legitimate, biblical, righteous anger. And he's kind of pouting like, Why is she taking so long to forgive me? I was, I was good friends with this guy. So at one point, when the, I, I don't remember if I said this in front of the wife or when she stepped out. I said, listen, if she comes back in here with a knife and wants to stab you in the leg, I'm going to let her. That's what, I said, no, if she tries to kill you, I'm not going to let her do that. I said, but do you realize what you put this woman through? You, you have no right at this point to demand from her instant forgiveness. Of course she's going to have to work through her emotions. She's trying. But... 
You see what he was doing? But you, but you don't understand how hard this is for me. I got so much guilt. I got so much shame. I'm trying to repent. Why can't people be nicer? Why can't... Just wallowing in this self pity. And listen, I'm telling you, we are experts at this. You try to draw near to rebuke somebody, and they can say, No, 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 don't you do that. I'm in too much pain. I'm in too much suffering. And if you do that, what's going to happen is the sin's going to fester. It's going to get worse. We use our emotions as a way to hide from dealing with our sin. But the second thing is we use our actions. Okay? Let's read again. Start in verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. I mean, God comes and pursues him. There's so much mercy. There's so much... I mean, I don't know about y'all. This reminds me a lot of Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve sinned and God in His grace comes to pursue. Where did you guys go? What happened? He's doing the same thing with Cain. What's going on, Cain? Why are you in a bad mood? You don't have a right to be in a bad mood. You need to repent, buddy. This is going to get worse. There's this gracious, tender pursuit. And Abel says, no, I'll handle this myself. I'll take matters in a moment. Okay, I won't ask uh, any of you to raise your hands and confess to this because it would be embarrassing to some of the guys, but I'm guessing some of y'all probably have a cat at home, okay? And if you ever see a cat kind of stalking something, whether it's in the yard or in the house, you know, when it gets ready to pounce, it kind of shrinks down, right? I have two cats, all right? I'm very secure in my manhood, so I'll, I'll confess this, right? The cat, it kind of shrinks down, and then it launches and it pounces, and, 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 you, and you've probably seen Discovery TV or maybe you've been on Safari at some point in your life and, you know, the big cats do the same thing. They make themselves small and silent and they stalk and they pounce. And God says sin is like that. He personifies sin. Sin is like that. Satan is like that. He will make himself seem small in your life. A small, white-collar, domesticated sin. Everybody's doing it. It's not a big deal. You keep playing with it and it will eat your lunch. It will ruin your life. Okay. It, its desire is to devour you. John Owen has this great place in uh, Sin and Temptation where he says, listen, if you ever feel like sin is dormant in your life, kind of like, oh, I'm not being really tempted anywhere. I'm not being tempted. Be careful. Sin is just trying to lull you to sleep. It's just trying to lull you into its confidence so that you let your guard down and it can pounce. Right? Satan doesn't take vacation days. He didn't get bored. He's always there coming after you. Okay? Again, using this one story of my friend, you, you don't go from zero to 50 affairs like that. It started much smaller. Started going to a strip club, not dealing with that appropriately, not dealt with. It gets really bad. Okay? Now, again, we're talking about murder here. And again, this, here's the danger in a passage like this. Well, I'm not perfect, okay? But we could say, I've never been to a strip club. I've never had an affair. I've certainly never murdered anybody. But do we remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? If we even looked at a woman to lust after in our heart. It's, listen, it's baby adultery. <clears throat> it's seed adultery. Leave it alone and it will grow. It's just a natural course of things. You don't even have to help it. It'll grow all by itself. And anger. 
sinful anger, sinful words of anger, that moron. How dare he cut me off in traffic? I cut other people off, they better not cut me off, right? My boss, my friend, my spouse, right? It's baby murder. It's murder in seed form. And if you let it water itself, this is where it'll go. Now, what, what is he doing here? There's blame shifting. It's what Adam and Eve did. And again, we're, we're so good at this. The last thing is we're going to see him use his words. Okay, Look in verse 9 when God comes again. And God's humility, God's gentleness, God's patience, God's kindness, trying to draw Cain to some genuine repentance. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now remember, Abel had been some type of shepherd, some type of keeper of livestock. And so probably part of what he's doing here is this a joke. It's kind of a pun. He's the keeper of sheep. I'm not his keeper. Listen, this is another one. that we, I, had, I had a great friend in college. And I've known other people since then, but he just stands out. He was hilarious. I mean, he could have been a full-time stand-up comedian. But he was a godly guy and, you know, involved in the same ministry I was involved in trying to grow. But if anybody ever tried to come to him about something personal in his life, try to talk to him about it, he could turn it into a quip so quick and have you laughing. And it was a defense mechanism. And it was so gentle, right? It wasn't, it wasn't you know, or just personal confession, right? If I'm in the flesh and somebody can't come after me and I don't want them to, I can get hard, I can get cold, I can get logical. And it's kind of this brushback pitch, like, hey, you sure you want to you do a truth duel with me? I do this per profession. So you better come armed to the teeth you want to come after me. That's my route. And it's pretty darn effective. Right? My buddy's route was just to make a joke, and it was super effective. Because you start laughing so much, you're like, ah, I'd rather just tell jokes with this guy than have to have a hard conversation. Now, Another thing that we see Cain doing here, it's just a lie. I don't know. Yeah, you do know. You killed him. You know exactly where he's at. You might be the only one that knows that. We just bold-faced lie. A guy that I used to work with, Camp Sourish, it's been years ago, and he had some sin going on in his life, some of his leadership style. And at one point, it literally got to where there were 15... I think it got up to 20 different people that were all willing to go on record and say, yes, this guy has done this to me. He's treated me this way. Written it down, signed it. And so it got to where me, his pastor, his board chairman, were all through. We're trying to follow Matthew 18 confronting him. It's like, 20 people. <laughs> right? And he's like, I, I don't remember that. I don't think I ever did that. You know, I'm not sure about it. No recollection. He was fired within a few months. Now, what do we do in this quarter? We're trying to look at enough biblical examples of this theme so that we can say, what is my personal sinful self-protective strategy? So that when we're tempted to do it, if listen, if I know this is what I'm tempted to do, I can intentionally lean against it. So there, I just gave you my personal strategy, okay? So there have been more than one time in my marriage where my wife has come to me and said, would you like some feedback on your parenting? And the honest answer is, no, I don't. Okay? And again, in the flesh it would be, would you like some feedback on your parenting? Or your spousing? 
right? Or I mean, I could just make the litany. But listen, if I'm in the Spirit, what I say is, yes, absolutely. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to take it like a man. Because guys, my wife, for better or worse, she knows me better than anybody else. And if I can't humble myself before her to hear feedback from, I'm a goner. And I'll probably ruin my relationship with my kids. So we've got to know enough about our sinful heart that when somebody tries to come at us, we can know our strategy. Because again, if I'm really in the flesh, what I can tell myself is, oh, I'm not, I'm not being sinfully self-protective. I'm just trying to vindicate the truth. Because what she said about me was a little bit exaggerated. So I'm just trying to correct her. I'm just trying to be accurate here. I mean, God's for the truth. You understand how easy it is to spin that thing and feel very vindicated and feel very justified and walk away with my own personal sense of righteousness intact but be a much worse husband and a much worse father and a much worse Christian and be much more confirmed in my own sinful patterns. We've got to be, listen, the humble person, the godly person invites it in. Yes, I want you to do heart surgery on me. Yes, it might hurt. But if that's what it takes. I mean, uh, I went to the dentist for the first time in about 10 years. I don't enjoy going to the dentist, okay? And part of it, I think I just have good genetics that I have pretty great teeth. So I don't really have to go. But I went for, and they're like, hey, you know, your teeth actually look pretty good. You, you do have this one feeling. It's starting to crack. You know, if you leave it alone, maybe nothing happens. Or maybe it cracks the tooth and you need a root canal. So we would recommend you get a crown. Again, in the flesh, I'm like, God, I don't want to invite surgery. He's like, are you having a sensitivity in chewing? No, I'm not in pain. So why should I do anything? But, you know, part of my thinking is, I don't want it to crack and turn into a root canal. So if it's just small now, it would be wiser. Go ahead and have the surgery, maybe two hours of pain, and then a lifetime of freedom, than to put it off and it maybe becomes much worse later. Does that make sense? And guys, we've got to learn to do that spiritually. This conversation is going to hurt. This confession is going to be painful. This exposure is not going to be pleasant. But guys, so much better to be exposed and hurt in the short run than to take the long-term damage that's coming if you keep playing with it. I heard a story that was during the Reformation, you know, when they were trying to sneak all of these uh, nuns out of the, uh, what do you call it where the nuns stay? The convent, yes. I was thinking monastery one right. So they were, you know, they were helping sneak all these nuns. You had, you had all these people that made these pledge to celibacy to be a monk and a nun. And then when they start to realize all the abuses of the Catholic Church, and this is not really biblical, you have all these nuns and monks quitting and getting married. You know, Martin Luther maybe being the most famous. And there, there's a story I heard one time of this one monk who's part of the Reformation, and he was like part of the Underground Railroad, sneaking these nuns out. And so they brought a bunch of young, beautiful nuns to stay in his house, you know, hiding from the Catholic authorities. And they hit him up in the uh, attic. And in the middle of the night, again, right, he's been celibate his whole life. He gets super tempted. And so he starts to climb the ladder up to the attic thinking, I'm going to have my way with one of these nuns. And halfway climbing up, he gets convicted. So he starts screaming out, fire, fire, fire. And one of his neighbors comes over and realizes what's actually happening and like, why did you do that? He said, I'd rather deal with the embarrassment right now of what I was tempted to do rather than have to deal with the judgment one day of what I was actually 
going to do. Does that make sense? That's a great godly attitude. And unfortunately, I don't think that's where most of us live. Look at verse 7. Verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crushing at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So, what's the application? If you're convicted in any way, you've got to say, I want to ruthlessly reject the first temptation to sin. Right? Whatever it is. The first thought. Oh, something's coming on the TV and everybody else is asleep. I could do it. Ah! Stop it. Right? You know, I could turn this in on my expense report and nobody... As soon as you catch yourself thinking something sinful, something wrong, ruthlessly reject it. Don't play around with it in your mind. Now, let's flip over to Hebrews for just a second. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 4. I mean, what must I do when I'm tempted to sin and more importantly for what we're talking about, when I'm tempted to cover my sin, right? I, I must have faith. I must have genuine faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was com- commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and though his, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. God wants us to have faith. I mean, that, that's the best way... What's my faith specifically in? Look at verse 11, verse 6. And listen, if you don't have this verse memorized, you need to memorize this one. This is a game-changing verse when this one sinks into the basement of your soul. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Now, this is going to be a definition of faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists. Now, just stop right there. It's like, okay, no duh. If I said, somebody define faith. Oh, uh, you believe in God. Right. No, everybody's got that. The atheist understands that. That's what he says he doesn't have. But look at the second phrase that so many of us miss, practically at least. And that he rewards those who seek him. That's where the real battle is happening in all of our souls, guys. Satan is trying to say to us in various ways, just like he said in Genesis 3, God's not really a good God. He's not a good daddy. You can't trust him. He's not going to reward you. He's going to hold you down. He's going to make your life miserable. He's a tyrant. Rebel. Get the good stuff on your own. And true faith says two things. God is real, and He's a good daddy. He rewards those that seek Him. And when I really believe, God will reward me if I'll seek Him. Do you realize the power that comes from that to fight temptation? It's like sin and Satan are saying, no, 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 fun is over here. Enjoyment is over here. Significance is over here. Satisfaction, security, safety is over here. And you can say, no, it's not. It's with my daddy. Even though it doesn't look like it's with my daddy right now, it looks pretty bleak and miserable. I trust him by faith. You've got to have that kind of faith, not only to be saved, but to be sanctified. Now, do you remember that weird phrase that we read back in Genesis chapter 4, verse 10, where God said, the blood of your brother, it's in the ground and it's crying up to me. Is that literal? No. It's a metaphor that we even still kind of use today. In a sense, the, the blood of the innocent at the human level that was shed is crying out for justice, right? It's crying out for justice. And if we take seriously, but baby murder, <laughs> adultery of the heart, that's enough to get me to hell? 
we're all goners, right? Which is what Jesus said. I mean, go read Matt. He said, if you even call your brother a fool, a blockhead, you're in danger of the fires of hell. But look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel cries out to God, justice against murderers. And the blood of Jesus cries out to God the Father, mercy. Have mercy on all my people because I died for them. And so when I'm tempted to sin, when I'm accused of sin, when somebody wants to talk to me about sin, after I have already sinned, the best thing that I can have, more than talking about it at a human level, although that's really important, is to talk to God in faith and repentance and cry out mercy, not from your own merit, but from the merit of Christ. Great song, from Arise, it's called Arise My Soul, says, speaking of Christ, five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, they forgive, they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. If God is such a good father that he was willing to have the one true son slaughtered so that the adopted sons and daughters could go free, if I can trust him with my greatest need, it ought to be easy and natural to trust him with all my secondary needs. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection in our place. Thank you that you are a patient pursuer, uh, that you love us, that you're gentle, that you are kind, that you reason with us, that you chase us in our sin, you chase us in our hardness, you chase us in our covering, you see behind our fig leaf righteousness. God, I pray for myself and for everybody hearing this. More and more, would you grant us faith, grow our faith, so we have such a warm, deep, genuine, real appreciation for your goodness that it's easy for us to let down our sinful coverings and hide only in the righteousness of Christ. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teachings.